Welcome to Develop Wex, a Middle Tech production hosted by me, Weston Lockhart, and Evan Knowles. This series will focus on the ins and outs of real estate development and investing, where we'll have the opportunity to sit down with the developers of our cities, veterans of the industry, and key people that have over time made a massive impact on communities and neighborhoods. The purpose of this series is to be able to bring a knowledge base to our audience beyond that of what reading a book or watching a how-to video ever could, and educate from those who have done it by hearing their stories, both good and bad, along the way. We feel that historically the learnings of real estate have been inaccessible without being connected, and we would love to open the doors to the next generation of doers, as well as shine a light on how visions of community have been brought to life. We hope you enjoy. Before diving in, we'll get a quick word from our sponsors. DevelopLex is sponsored by SVN Stone Commercial Real Estate, a full-service commercial real estate firm located in Lexington, Kentucky, affiliated with the SVN International Network, which is comprised of over 1,600 advisors and staff and 200-plus offices across the globe. The SVN Stone team consists of experienced commercial real estate advisors in the heart of the bluegrass. SVN provides commercial real estate services to large corporations, middle market businesses, and individual entrepreneurial investors. Serving the Greater Lexington area, SVN offers advisory services for sales, leasing, management, and development of commercial properties locally, regionally, and nationally. With transaction volume of over $400 million, the advisors at SVN Stone Commercial Real Estate have vast experience and deep understanding of all aspects of commercial real estate. We are also sponsored by Community Trust Bank. Community Trust offers a wide variety of home loans, commercial loans, and small business loans to suit your financial needs, as well as mobile banking, internet banking, and bill pay. Their friendly and professional staff would love to assist you at one of their six Lexington locations. Community Trust Bank is committed to building communities built on trust. Member FDIC, equal housing lender, subject to credit approval. We are also sponsored by Lexington Pavement Suite. Lexington Pavement Sweep is a full-service property maintenance company operating in Central Kentucky, specializing in parking lot sweeping, day portering, landscaping, and snow. From established retail properties to construction sites and everything in between, whether your property needs a daytime presence or a nightly sweep, Lexington Pavement Sweep will be there to ensure your property is starting the day pristine. Lexington Pavement Sweep is proud to be a part of Develop Lex, bringing the best of the best to all listeners. Welcome back to Develop Lex. Today you have Weston and Ross hosting, and we have on Anthony Humphreys. Anthony is the owner of Eden Companies. He is an avid multifamily investor uh, and commercial real estate investor in general. Technically, we work together at SVN, uh, but he's primarily an investor and uh, owns his own companies. But he co-founded and serves as chair for City of the Nations and serves on a lot of nonprofit boards. So we thought that Anthony could give just a really unique perspective on investing, um, being charitable, and just kind of how he scaled his company to where he is and what kind of mission he's on. So Anthony, welcome on. Yeah, thanks, guys. Pleasure to be here. It's an honor. So let's get started. Just where are you from? Who are you? What do you want some of the listeners to know about you starting out? Yeah, sure. Uh, small town Kentucky boy from Campbellsville. Yeah, I just grew up kind of middle class family. Uh, mom actually worked at Fruitville Loom Factory for a long time. And uh, my dad managed a grocery store down there and painted houses on the side. So I'd always help him do that growing up. So that's just kind of the, the upbringing and uh, graduated high school in 96 and went up to College here in Lexington, attended Transylvania University and played baseball there. Had a nice. good time. What year was that? 
what year did you graduate from college? Not to date you, but what? Yeah, year? sure. Started in 96 <laughs> and actually got out in 2000. They're, they're pretty good at pushing you through <laughs> yeah. in four years over there. So. Yeah, that's cool. And then, uh, so you graduated from Transy and then was there anything at Transy or in your upbringing that kind of got you into what you're doing or in terms of investing? Yeah. And I always say I was uh, too stupid to realize I was more of a business guy. I didn't really grow up in Campbellsville around a lot of business people. And so I thought I wanted to be a counselor, but I always wanted to kind of own my own counseling clinic. So I actually majored in psychology. When I graduated, started working for a fraternity ministry, actually. So I traveled around the state, was getting my degree in social work, and uh, realized pretty quick that wasn't my gig. <laughs> Uh, but I'd moved into a neighborhood kind of off of Red Mile Road. In the meantime, I uh, was working with some youth, actually, in that neighborhood and bought my first home. Uh, a fellow named John Withers kind of, he uh, started the Lexton Leadership Foundation, which is an organization in town that runs the Amachi Mentoring Program and Fatherhood Initiative. And so I had moved in this neighborhood to kind of help out with the youth and bought my first house. So John helped me, and another guy, uh, David Burton, who a lot of people might know out I there. I lived in a house of his. There you go, yeah. Many, many students on the UK's campus have lived in a, in a house of David Burton's, but uh, he was actually really involved in my life starting my freshman year of college. So I like to always give credit to David Burton and John Withers for really helping me along in this venture. So when people talk to you now, what do you what do you tell them that you do? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> so I own Eden Companies is how we've branded it. And uh, there for a season I got into trying to buy other businesses, but have realized I love real estate and especially multifamily. So I've really tried to stay in that vein and just acquire and manage uh, multifamily housing. So that's where we're headed right now. But started in that little neighborhood with one house uh, in 2001, I think it was, and had a couple of roommates that paid me 200 bucks a piece, I think, for yeah, rent. That's, all, so. that's always how it starts. It was, was your, I meant to ask this, was your first house a duplex that you bought? No, it was not. <laughs> <laughs> There's like, so many folks that get started with duplexes. Yeah, I feel yeah. like that is the consistent pattern, but that's cool. So Red Mile, did you kind of stick to that neighborhood at first and go from there? Or? I definitely did. You know, I mentioned I, I was a complete heathen actually growing up. Uh, but I had a major life change in college, well, at least internally, externally, if you knew me, you probably wouldn't know that maybe, but, uh, but yeah, I never, never planned on getting into real estate. Did you stick to, to Red Mile at first or kind of, kind of stick in that neighborhood in yeah. terms of investing and pattern? Just, just between us two, I'm trying not to be like, like I'm a very spiritual guy. It's an important part of my life, but I'm trying not to answer every single question like, from that because I don't want to like sick everybody out. So, <laughs> That's okay. Uh, anyway, so back to your question. <laughs> uh, yeah, I did actually, and I hadn't actually planned on getting involved or buying real estate, that kind of thing. I loved working in the nonprofit world. I actually wanted to go overseas and do that. Uh, so I tried to always keep uh, the houses when I would move out of one and rent it out and fix up the next one. I always liked it to be on the same street over there because it was easy to manage. And of course, if you pick an area and really improve it, then you're improving the value of the first homes that you bought in that area as well. 
Uh, so that made a lot of sense to me at first. And then, of course, I hit a time right after I got married. I got married in December of 04. So I'd been doing it about three years, still working for nonprofit. And, uh, you know, God is a very important thing in my life. And I actually felt like he told me, uh, which is a whole other story, that I didn't have a lot of faith because I wasn't out there trying to buy any more houses. And so the first year after I got married, we kind of doubled, I think, from maybe I had three and a half houses. So we ended up with eight. And then really every year after that, it kind of doubled. So it was quite an interesting journey, but one I didn't really set out to to do. So Yeah, very, very different than, than a lot of people that are in that nonprofit kind of spiritual life is real estate investing. I'm sure at the time you're like, is, is God really calling me to do this right now? Exactly. Yeah, that, that was the struggle. But uh, I've heard something that always sticks with me, and that's that a dolphin was made to swim. And just by swimming, it glorifies God. And so if we do whatever we're created to do, then we'll glorify God. doesn't matter if it's scrubbing a toilet or working for a nonprofit. You know, you're in the midst of scaling. You just got married, it sounds like, at this point in your life, You, which I'm curious. I just got married in the last year, and I can't imagine telling my wife we're going to buy four more houses this year. That would, <laughs> <laughs> that, would be, uh, that would be an interesting conversation. Had you kind of found a consistent strategy or pattern in real estate investing outside of like, I see this house and it looks good, so I'm going to buy it? Yes. Uh, and that's part of what John and David Burton, I mentioned, kind of helped me learn was that if you buy a house that needs a lot of work done to it, uh, then you can actually do the work yourself. So later in life, I realized I actually made the money from being a general contractor, really. I would kind of fix the house up on my own, uh, once it was fixed, rent it out, you can refinance it based on the new worth of it and pull out the money that you had in it and then kind of go from there. So because when I started, I didn't have any money. So that was the only way I knew how to do it. So yeah, I just kind of repeated that pattern over and over. And even today, that's part of the, the strategy. You know, you find even a larger apartment community that you can add value to, of course, a lot of people are out there saying they're going to add value to multifamily right now and increase the rents. And I'm not sure how much further that can go, but that's a very uh, lucrative strategy, I think, when it works. So if you were to give some advice to a, a young investor or a young man or woman trying to get into real estate, what's some of that advice beyond add true value to a property? What other nuggets of advice would you give? Usually I tell people to just kind of pick an area that, that you think is a good area, an upcoming area uh, where you can take down some property and really make some improvements in the neighborhood and just kind of focus on that area. And it makes it a lot easier on the management side as well because you can obviously save a little bit of money managing. I think a lot of the other things, you know, they call it passive income, but it's really not passive. So <laughs> you actually, you know, work at it. Uh, but if you're willing to do a lot of the work uh, yourself and put some sweat equity in, that's certainly a strategy. If you have a good W-2 job, you can obviously afford maybe to hire some of that out, which is always good too. So, Would you have considered yourself before you got into real estate like a hands-on guy in terms of that stuff? I'm a very hands-on guy um, in the business, but as far as handyman and maintenance work, <laughs> I'm not. Okay, would, so there's hope yeah. for me, it sounds like. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I would. Somebody would call and say, hey, my toilet's broke, and I used to just go over, you know, because I wanted to show up and be helpful, but I, would, I was clueless. And, of course, 
I think that was before the uh, you had the internet on your phone and you could actually Google a YouTube video. So I'd I'd actually go pray for the toilet. Sometimes, <laughs> yeah, sometimes it would work. It would, yeah, you know, <laughs> toilet starts running. So I kind of mentioned earlier I got into trying to buy or take some ownership in some companies. So we started an insurance company, Real Insurance, uh, with Bill Rouse, Christian Moore. And now Todd Clark and Jamie Durham with uh, Kentucky Seed Capital are involved in that. And then I uh, bought in to Craftsman Contractors, Bill Rouse, and I did that as well uh, with Philip Petrie and Jacob Hardy. But realized that's not really my niche. And so we really tried to stay in the, in the multifamily vein. So Biff Buckley and I owned a lot of apartments around campus. Here recently, we bought some townhomes that were off campus from a fella I met from Virginia that just kind of needed to get out of that deal or whatnot. So... It's a great guy, so we kind of ventured into that world, learned a lot, put together my first syndication, and then when I sold that, kind of sold my own property to the syndication that I ran and exchanged that money into these townhomes. And so that enabled me to get into the Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae kind of agency debt as well uh, in order to GP future syndications. So it's been a massive learning curve. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, and that's... I feel like I was at SVM when that happened. How many, that's been in the last few years, right? Yeah, yeah. That was actually January 1 of 2020 that I put that syndication together. It was 21 homes. Uh, the first homes I ever bought, actually, that first neighborhood yeah. I talked about. Yeah. Uh, so they were all on the same street there. So I put those together, sold them to a group of investors. I rounded up. And uh, then, of course, COVID hit. And we had we literally closed on this group. It was 125 townhomes uh, over on the corner of Richmond Road and Fontaine, and uh, we closed on those March 12th of 2020. So, needless to say, I was I was pretty concerned. <laughs> I'm curious too. How did you um, How did you learn? How, was it just learned by fire on putting that syndication together and exchanging out? And that's a lot of nuance. Yeah, yeah, it is. And uh, I would really say I've mentioned John Withers and David Burton, but Bill Rouse, who I just mentioned too, is really another uh, great mentor who's who's helped me out. SVN, Matt uh, Stone, just a lot of guys like that have really helped me out. So I feel like part of our giving back, Eden Companies kind of stands on three values that we talk about. One of those is giving back, but I consider part of my giving back trying to help educate and help others in real estate as well because it's such a great investment opportunity and it is a lot of work like I said it's not necessarily passive uh, but man if everybody could have one or two rental houses perhaps it's a great investment you know and a great diversification so uh, so really those guys helped me out and um, yeah a lot of reading studying and and yes uh, no Trial better lesson and experience absolutely yeah. i'm curious as to what oh, yeah. your other two company values are yeah besides giving back so what so just while we're here just what are the other two values of your company of the eating companies yeah thanks for asking so the first really is just loving and encouraging team members because if you don't have a team you don't have much and then the second is really serving the residents or the clients in your business. So I feel like that's like a three-legged stool uh, where you're loving and encouraging team members, serving your clients, and then giving back to the community and the world. And so that's, that's kind of what drives me to keep going really are those three values. Yeah, I think it's hard to – something that's been really cool 
and this is not just a plug for SVN for two, uh, two brokers for SVN, but something that's been really cool is from the day I started with my company, I feel like they've been pretty clear on mission statements. And I think that that's in real estate, which is a really lonely, ambiguous venture that a lot of our listeners will realize if they haven't already realized. It's an incredible venture, but it's also a really scary thing. I think having a vision statement and having um, values that you assign to your company, I think that's huge. So that's that's really cool that you guys have done that. Is there Was there somebody that kind of inspired you to have that sort of vision for your company? Yeah, and, and I'll say those are what I would call aspirational values. I'm not going to claim we get anywhere close to perfect on those. Uh, but yeah, I've always loved strategy and business, and it's part of, even though I I didn't pursue business out of college, I actually took a friend's strategic management book and read through the cliff notes. I've always just loved leadership and business type stuff and studied it and just always thought, it made a lot of sense if you don't have a vision or a place where you're going, you're going to end up somewhere. So you might as well start thinking through where you want to end up. And then you're going to live for something. You know, there's going to be a daily reason you do what you do. And so you might as well try to form that mission statement and know what that is. And then, of course, uh, we talked about uh, values. I view those as the wheels on the car uh, that keep the vehicle going. And so if you don't have values that you can kind of depend on and ride on your vehicle's going to break down. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Again, that's, that is an incredibly important thing. So yeah, you kind of touched on it. I guess one of the reasons that we wanted to have you on is uh, you have just a really unique perspective and you're pretty outward about your faith, which is not normal in our industry. SVN, I feel like we're, we're probably a little bit more outward about that than a lot. And I think it's really, I think it's really tempting in business in general to uh, display that and not actually live that. But I've, I've known about you and I've known a lot of people that know you for a long time and says, that Anthony Humphreys is actually about it (laughs) (laughs) and doesn't just have the, uh, doesn't just have the, uh, fish on the back of his car. Uh, I definitely don't have that the way I drive. (laughs) (laughs) That's part of the reason we wanted to talk to you today is because obviously you're incredibly successful, but you also are very forward about what drives you. So what does drive you? What, what drives you each and every day and what keeps the Eden companies going? I'm nowhere near perfect, quite the opposite, but To be quite frank, what drives me is because I feel like there's a God who was perfect and uh, who basically became perfection for me. So I just rely on that God as I define him. And uh, I feel like he speaks with me. I feel like I have a relationship with him. And I just kind of desire to live my life in the way that he would have me live my life. You know, I, I would love to talk about it all the time. Uh, but I know that people have different backgrounds and different opinions and views of God, and I don't ever want to come across as trying to shove shove my perspective of God down anybody's throat. And then, of course, like you said, there are unfortunately a lot of people who use God as a reason to do things that they want to do. Uh, and, you know, we're humans. I, I certainly have prideful things in my life, selfish things, and a lot of times I don't even realize it. And I'm performing and, and doing action, saying things out of that and don't even know it. Uh, so it's, you know, I just I feel like it's very important if you're going to say 
that you have a God that's loving to perform that way. I always kind of say that, hey, we want to smell like God smells. And if we think God smells like love and joy and peace, then when we're around other people, that's what we want to smell like. So I hope to do that as best as we can. But again, there's definitely no claim to perfection. So that's really what drives me to to keep going and, and get out of bed in the morning. So. Yeah. And in, in terms of owning a company and trying to love people well that are in your company, that obviously is an important thing. Um, what are your goals with the Eden companies and how does that intertwine with some of the things you have going on? So obviously you're a very large multifamily investor. What does that look like when you're trying to live out your spiritual life? Like obviously there's greed um, that you have to try to address in your own heart every day. I, I know that I have to do that in my heart, but what are you, what are you all trying to get to or what, what's kind of your mission at this point? Yeah, sure. Weston. And, um, I'll be really honest. I have realized even in the last year that a lot of my grandiose plans that I would like to, to think are altruistic and it's all for God that in a lot of ways it's for me because, uh, I know the bad side of what drives me is uh, wanting to be successful and getting my value and identity out of looking successful. And so I know there's mixed motives in there, but I also know I'll never purify those motives. And if I wait around to do something until my motives are totally pure, I'm, I'm never going to move anywhere. But to answer your question, you know, you could talk about the monetary side just because it's easy to measure that and that giving back value. Uh, so, like, ultimately, Eden Companies would love to steward a billion dollars worth of multifamily assets, and we'd love to see 99% of the cash flow that comes off of that uh, going to things in the world that really make a difference. And, of course, that's that third value giving back to the community and the world Another goal would be team members. It's kind of like I've learned along the way, you can try to be Robin Hood and you can steal from your team members, you can steal from your residents in the name of creating a better world somewhere else, but that's pretty hypocritical. So we try to make sure we're fair and pay to team members and um, that we're not gouging residents. Uh, we try to make sure that that any um, requests they have that are coming in are taken care of promptly and that kind of thing. Because if you can't do those bottom line things uh, and run a good business, uh, you don't have a lot of room to, to go out there talking about God and what you're doing to improve the world otherwise, I feel like. Again, we're not perfect, <laughs> but that's the aspiration, you know. Well, that's regardless of if you have, I mean, it definitely helps you when you have a moral compass the way that you do, but that's regardless of in real estate is that, you know, it's really hard to be a landlord that people want to rent from and also raise your rents 50% in a year just because market says you can do so. So I, I think it's really, I think it's really neat that you guys at least have a place where you come from with that. Yeah. And I struggle with that. That's a tough one right now. It's the world we're living in. Right. And it's like property and yeah, so the property taxes are based on comps. Comps are going up. So our taxes will go up and therefore the insurance will go up. Supplies are going up. You have to pay team members well. So labor costs are going up. And so all that kind of translates into you almost have to raise the rents to a certain degree. And then we've made promises to investors. Right. It's a very complicated world right now.
Yeah, that's a great question, you know, and affordable housing is a, a big part of that. And just heard earlier this week, a couple of days ago, about a family, I'm, I'm close to them, and their rent's going up, I think, 25%, you know, so they can't afford to pay that. They're looking for another place. So those are tough issues, and I can't claim to have the answers to those questions. I try to partner as much as I can with people that do have good answers and seem like they do have good solutions. So I mentioned Lexington Leadership Foundation earlier. Uh, They do a lot of uh, stuff with fatherhood, with children. Uh, I love Lexington, love the beauty of it, the horse farms. Uh, Those should definitely be protected. So it's, it's tough to know how to grow and provide affordable housing, yet maintain that beauty and the character. And I know that everybody... Uh, feels the same way. I don't think anybody out there would say that they want to ruin the beauty of Lexington, but nobody out there (laughs) would say either that they don't want affordable housing. So how do you do that? I don't have a clue, to be honest with you, (laughs) but I'd love to be part of the solution if I can. So. Yeah, something that we bring up a lot in these interviews is is affordable housing. It's definitely been the last three or four. We bring in, we bring up affordable housing a lot, and there there really doesn't seem to be a one size fits all. Yeah, Lexington is a really interesting market. It doesn't feel like a market that there is a one size fits all solution. There's gonna be people that are frustrated with the outcome of however the urban service boundary gets addressed. You know, we all took an economics course and understand supply and demand. And at this point, um, you know, there's really not much supply. And so that that increases demand pretty substantially, you know, and that raises rents and and makes affordable housing not not really quite affordable. But I do think that it's an incredible state. I mean, obviously, we, we have developed Lex, so we're, we're high on Lexington. It's a, it's a question that we're going to have to continue to address probably for as long as we live here, if I had to guess. Going with that, what areas of town do you see the most potential? Like, obviously, we're still, we're still incredibly high on Lexington. Is there any parts of town that you see as kind of the next up? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, anywhere inside a new circle is fantastic. Um, and because of the urban service boundary, uh, it's hard to not find a good spot in Lexington, I feel like. Uh, and as you guys know, development's happening even in the surrounding counties so Lexington just kind of spills over into that. I don't necessarily have a part of town that I'm targeting or that I think is just absolutely fantastic. I love Lexington just in general as a whole. I think it's hard to go wrong here. So it's just a great town. It's got everything you need. Well, we know nobody likes to talk about mistakes, but one of the things we're trying to do here is, is teach lessons you can't necessarily learn on a, a how-to course or um, things you have to learn by being in the field. What are some mistakes or what's one big mistake that uh, you've learned from now, but what's one of those mistakes that you'd like to uh, educate people on so that they don't make that same mistake? Yeah, good question. Uh, great question. I've noticed when I'm in a room and somebody's sharing, whenever uh, they say something like, now here is the biggest mistake I've ever made, you can hear a pin drop. <laughs> That's really what everybody wants to hear. I think a lot of times, maybe my challenges have been in operations and how to on-ramp team members and, and uh, hang in there with them, do proper training, that kind of thing. Because I'm a bit random. Sometimes I'm a bit of a lone ranger, I guess you could say. 
Uh, so recently, a fellow Bill Eister, who's a great operator, he uh, he operated a Fortune 50 company for a while, and and then a large nonprofit, and uh, most recently Pepper Point. Uh, he helped grow that, but he's come on the team to help with operations and hiring and on ramping and training. And so, really, I think that's been the biggest challenge for me. And I think people they really are your biggest asset. If you don't have a good team, you don't have much. And I have been very fortunate to have some great team members. We've also tried to on-ramp some that, that were not, and some just were great people, just not a great fit. And it was hard to see that because I get in a rush. And um, I've heard people say, uh, hire slow and fire quick, I think it is. Sounds kind of mean. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, when you do that, you're actually helping everybody out because if it's not a good fit, uh, then those people need to find something that is. So I, I think some of my biggest mistakes have been uh, impatience in bringing people on the team and then just kind of dumping on them instead of developing them maybe uh, properly. You know, a lot of our listeners probably would aspire to be at the scale that you're at, but also just to be a part of the organization uh, that you're with. What would you define like a good team member as if you're if you're looking for the ideal employee for eating companies or a partner on a deal or whatever it might be? How do you how do you see a good team member? Yeah, uh, we look at uh, we call them the three or the four C's actually. Uh, so we look at character first. Um, so, you know, does the person exhibit good character? Have they exhibited that in the past? We look at chemistry on the team. How does everybody get along? You know, do you enjoy uh, working together, that kind of thing? Uh, we look at competency kind of last, really. And in that, uh, in some skills, you don't necessarily need prior training. You just need the right personality or the right fit and you can learn the position. And then I'd say lastly, we kind of look at calling um, and is, does the person feel called to that position? So, so we look at, at those things. Uh, there was a book, Ideal Team Player, that was really good uh, that I'd recommend too. But that's kind of, we just try to fit the right people on a team, just like a baseball team you know certain people fit certain spots so we're just trying to fill a good team so so to be in this business you can't just buy one house you can't just buy one duplex and make that a full-time job build a team around you know one house on southland drive you have to at some point scale up and so obviously you've done a great job doing that over you know since early 2000s it sounds like what kind of have been your keys to success on scaling your business yeah, sure. And and part of that's just life circumstances, right? So I, the nonprofit I worked for was on campus. So you have summers free. So I did a lot of things over the summer, that kind of stuff. And then I had the opportunity to kind of reduce back to part time on that. But a big part was uh, the financing is always key. I talked about kind of putting your own sweat equity in it. So I realized that I've actually made most of my money from being a general contractor. And so once you uh, get a property up and running, you can refinance and usually pull back out your initial capital that you have in it and just keep rolling and turning that over. A big key for me, a uh, house we moved into in 2008, I think it was, I bought it in an absolute auction. It had a lot of equity in it. And so I set up a line of credit because it was an unoccupied house. So some would say that's a bit risky, you know, putting a line of credit on your own personal home. But that was the first time I'd had access to much cash. 
And that happened to be right before the crash, of course. So that year in 2009, I think I doubled from like 72 beds to about 150 beds. And so after that, I did a large refinance and kind of fixed in a good loan and pulled out a chunk of cash. And so at that point, I really jumped in with one of my first partners and we put up the same amount of cash to buy 143 units around campus. The thing about that deal is I charge no points, no fees, no nothing. I put up the same exact amount of cash as my partner did. And so I usually talk about that and just say, you know, he took a big risk on me because I doubled my size and he was depending on me to run it. And because of that risk, he got a good deal. Um, and so we've had to kind of redo that management fee. And, you know, that was a mistake. Things always take twice as long as you think and cost twice as much as you think a lot of times. And so I thought that I could just hire out a property manager and walk away and be very passive. Well, that never happened. <laughs> so, um, but after doing that, uh, that kind of set me on a course of picking off other deals and that kind of thing until I eventually uh, got to this, this part we talked about of grouping the 21 homes together and then rounding up, I think it's eight investors to syndicate that deal. So in essence, I sold my own property to myself as the general partner of the syndication. And so that's really the plan going forward too, is because in order to sign on non-recourse agency debt with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, uh, you have to have certain liquidity requirements and net worth requirements. Um, and so that puts me in, in a position and with the experience I've had in the property management company where I can syndicate deals now and round up investors. Uh, so that's what we're doing right now. It's been the plan. It's uh, tough to find a, a good deal. So actually, I'm, I'm packaging everything that uh, I still own around campus, including those 21 homes, will be part of it. And in essence, doing the same thing, and we're creating Eden Companies Fund. We're selling uh, this portion of campus to it. And then we'll still continue to manage that as we always have, but it'll produce a return for investors. And I'll take the proceeds from that and probably buy a community that needs a whole lot of work that would not otherwise be a great community to do a syndication with. So that's kind of the plan right now and, and where we're headed. And we'll see if uh, cap rates move up, see what happened to interest rates, that kind of thing, go from there. So we hear so much about the duplex to the triplet and then just scaling up. Like it's cool that you have the perspective. So that's, that's what we wanted to have you on is we wanted, yeah, we can do theoretical. Cool. So, you know, obviously we care about Lexington, you know, we're all, uh, I'm a lifer, I guess Ross is a lifer too. And, and you're a college to lifer. So we all care about Lexington. We want it to be the best city possible. What is your aspiration for what you would want Lexington to be? Sure. I'm smiling because I almost view Campbellsville as like a suburb of Lexington, you know, <laughs> hey, it's <laughs> we all, were it's always all coming up to Lexington. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, just kind of a really theoretical here. And even part of the reason we call it Eden companies, honestly, I didn't want to call it something cheesy like kingdom companies or yeah, that's it. <laughs> we named it that because I feel like the garden of Eden was kind of a perfect place, you know, 
And then um, in my thinking, Eden will be restored one day. And it's kind of like, what, what would that look like if, if everybody lived according to the way life could be in Eden, then what would it look like? Almost as if to say, uh, if God were the mayor or the king of Lexington, how would things be? And of course, if you, if you believe that God is good and loving and just, things would be pretty perfect. And so as much as it's up to us, I feel like that's our role in life where we take our sphere of influence and try to live that out and see, uh, in essence, love uh, being exhibited in any way possible. So that's kind of why we named it Eden Companies. The logo is actually the Tree of Life. And if you look at it, the tree is shaped like three twos. That's from Revelation 22.2. And uh, that's where it talks about uh, the Garden of Eden, the Tree of Life, and how the leaves on the tree are for the healing of the nations. Yeah, we're all about seeing nations healed and the, the world changed for the better. I think it starts here locally, though. I've always heard uh, the light that shines the furthest in the world and impacts the world. On Scratch that. I've always heard that the light uh, that shines the furthest and makes the impact in the furthest part of the world shines the brightest at home. So I feel like if that's the case, then uh, Lexington will shine the brightest. So love Lexington, and I would love to see it continue being the great city that it is. Well, Anthony, thank you so much for coming on. My thoughts on Anthony is I still remember from a distance one day, I saw him at Whole Foods or Good Foods or whatever it is in the summit, and he was wearing shorts and sandals and like a very loose-fitting button-up shirt on a sunny day in the middle of the week. So it, it's very cool to know that somebody that has the influence that he has and the scale that he has is very approachable and is not in over their head in what they're doing. It's just, it's just a really neat vision to see. So thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Weston Rob. It's been a, been a joy.